Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Grab your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 13. As we look at tonight, chapter number 13, we've already examined the life of David. We've looked at David and we've seen that he's a man after God's own heart. Amen? He's someone who serves God. He's a very affectionate and emotional man. He was one who wore his emotions on his sleeves. That's why we have the book of Psalms. Deacon, I'm going to ask you to bump that air down. We're going to do it like a limbo up in there. Get it cold. Cold enough to kill hogs. Amen? Let's get it cool up in here. Because I'm about to work. I'm about to swear, sweat a little bit. Amen. But we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter number 13 tonight. If this is the first time you've been to church, you can grab that Bible that you're holding right there out of that pew. We have ESV and King James, and you can take either one. I'm preaching out of ESV tonight because that's what I just prefer. I prefer less vows and these and more like you and us, okay? So we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 13 tonight, and we've got to do a little bit of background before we we get started. At this point, uh, David has been confronted by the, the prophet Nathan because of his sin. We remember that David killed Goliath. Everybody talks about that. He picked up the smooth stone and he swung it and went right for Goliath's forehead. Ah! You know, they, they preach that. But nobody mentions Bathsheba when she walked up looking like everything he wanted and she wrecked his life. Amen. And God was not okay with him killing Bathsheba's husband and all that treachery that went down. The adultery, the murder that took place in his house. And then God judged the house of David and said that the child that was born out of wedlock will die. And and that David will have troubles in his latter life. The first 20 years of David was a lot of dancing and rejoicing. But the last 20 years of his reign as a king over Israel was full of murmuring and strife and troubles. That's what we look at in 2 Samuel chapter 13. I I want to let you know tonight that Jesus Jesus will save you from your sins. Amen? Amen? Somebody, are you hearing me tonight? Jesus will save you from your sins. But the effects of the sin might linger on. Oh, oh, let me let me explain a minute what that means. Uh, well, uh, yes, you you might have you might have been you might be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit now, reading your Bible, loving Jesus. But those relationships are still complicated. Uh, people still mad. You still owe that money. You you still got to do that time. You still you still got to do the work to put that relationship back together when you ruined it and walked all over them. He, he will save you from your sin, but the effects of sin will and can linger. But then, again, He does not leave us to ourselves. He gives us the strength to walk through it. Amen. He don't expect us. God does not pin a dollar to our collar and kick us in behind and say, good luck with all that. He, he's one who's involved. He's, a, he's not, and we're not latchkey kids. That God is, he, he saves us and says, good luck. No, 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 no. Our God is involved. He's there with us. He walks with us through the complicated situations. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, is it complicated? Is it complicated? Is it complicated? Yes, it is. And we're going to look tonight in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Oh, it's about to get real complicated up in here. Let's look at the life of David tonight. And we look in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now, Absalom. Look at your neighbor and say, Absalom. Absalom. Oh, you didn't say it, bro. I'm just messing with it. He said it. He said it. All right. Absalom. Absalom is one of the, the goodest looking men in the kingdom. He's not the oldest. At this point, David has reigned for about 20 years. And we 
expect that Absalom probably is the third from the, the crown. He's now about 18 to 16 years old. However, he has a little sister named Tamar. Now, Tamar in the Hebrew means a palm tree. That the, the people who were coming from the, the family of Tamar and Absalom were known for beauty. The, the Bible tells us that Absalom had no flaw on his body. I, I can relate. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we can, uh, that he had no flaw. That he was a, a perfect man and a beautiful appearance. Uh, however, you can look a certain way, but your heart be flawed and broken and your character and integrity could be broken and stained. As we see that the house of David starts to go through turmoil. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amon, David's son, loved her. Now, Amon is the oldest heir of David. He was actually the son of a prince. Uh, well, no, actually, uh, uh, Absalom was the son of a princess, and, and, and Tamar was over the uh, comes from that same bloodline. You got to understand that David had more than one wife. And now, I know some guys in, who are in our congregation. Now, you got more than one wife. You got more. Than, you got a lot of girlfriends. You got a lot of wives. But the Bible does not. Call Call us to have a, a Harlem. He does not call us to have a, a, bunch, a bunch of women that are 99 problems. You get what I'm saying? He doesn't call us to have a lot of women. I got one wife and I can't even handle her. Amen. Somebody. Woo, come on. She ain't in here. Is she okay. But, but we see here that David had many wives. A lot of the wives that he had was political moves. Uh, see, well, David was a man after God's own heart. What's David doing messing up? Well, even the best of us in the Bible. For example, we see that the strongest of us, Samson, still fell into sin. And later on, Solomon, the wisest of us, still fell into sin. We also see that one third of the holy angels that are in the presence of the holy God were persuaded by Lucifer to join him and rebel against the holy God. Uh, What chance do you got? How how are you going to resist that? Uh, let's, let's put our enemy in perspective and understand what we're up against. Once we understand how frail and how weak we are, we pray a lot more. Amen. Far too long we've gone prayerless. We've gone without crying out to God because we got it. We got it all under control. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you, you ain't doing nothing. You, 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 spending, you barely spending wheels. You ain't even kicking up dust. That's right. That's right. We see here that after a time, Ammon... David's son loved her. Wait a minute, what you talking about, preacher? That's his sister, right? Half sister. Yes, yes. Uh, you, your family complicated too. Don't say, don't judge nobody. You got some cousins that look like a flounder. You know, don't don't say nothing. You know, the stuff is complicated. Some of y'all just got it. Okay, I'm glad you're here tonight. Keep up with me. But is God okay with that? Is He okay with incest? Is He okay with molestation? Is He okay with rape? Is God okay? Preacher, you said that God is sovereign. He He He's in control of everything. So why do bad things happen? Close. Why does why does bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened one time, and he volunteered. Truly, like uh, my brother said, free will, absolutely. We, we're free to sin all we want. We, all we do is sin. We're good at sin. Some of us get paid to sin. We, some of us do it for free. Amen. Amen. If God were to wipe out all the sin, they won't be nobody. Nobody here is perfect. Nobody. There was one perfect. They crucified him. Nobody here 
Nobody here has it all together. Nobody here is Teflon and nothing's sticking to you. No, nobody here. So in this situation, as we look in 2 Samuel 13, we actually understand that this was written by God. Because if it was written by man who made this up, I would have skipped that part. Don't y'all think? I would have put the incest and the rape in here. I wouldn't mention about uh, people killing babies in, in the previous chapter where we talked about Murak, where they had an idol where they burned the babies alive for uh, baby sacrifices. I wouldn't mention all that. I would put fairy tales and I put butterflies and unicorns in here. But then again, this is true. And if there's anything I know about truth, it's gritty. It can get dirty. Sometimes it looks scary. you got a lot of questions about it. We see here that Amon lusted after his own sister. Now, we know he lusted after her because uh, he, he, the fact is that he lusted after her as some kind of animal magnetism because uh, in a moment we'll see that he rapes her and he tosses her to the side. That's not love. For the Bible tells me that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not insist in its own way. 1 Corinthians 13 for anybody who might be taking notes. Amon did not love his half-sister. In fact, the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 9, if you're taking notes, take that down. Leviticus 18 9. As Moses receives the law of God, he hears, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister. Your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home is what it says. That God prescribes and says, this is what you're not to do. But then again, all we see from the book of Genesis on to the book of Revelation is us doing what we want. Oh, I know what the Bible says. I know what God commands, but I'm going to do what I want. From Adam and Eve on down to you and me. We do what we want. We call our own fouls and our own strikes. I know what the rule book says, but I want to do me. I want to do my call. I want to call my shots. The spirit of rebellion is not dead. It's not gone. It's still here and we're all here in it. So we see sin creeping up here. You might say, well, maybe God caused Amon to sin and rape his sister. Maybe he enticed her. Well, you haven't been here as we studied the book of James on Sunday nights. That's a plug. You know we have church on Sunday nights. Did y'all know that? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, they got church on Sunday nights. Look at your neighbor and say, you didn't do it, bro. You didn't do it again. They got church on Sunday nights. Starts at, starts at 6 o'clock. Be here. We're going to the book of James. In the book of James, it says, James 1 verse 20. No, we're not going to do that one. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Let no one say he is tempted. When he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's Lord and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives forth to death. What's James talking about? That means I did that. I did that all by myself. I didn't need God to tempt me. I did it. That sin is already in you. That pride's there. That lust, that anger, that bitterness, it's already in you. Imagine a mason jar. It can be clear. It's beautiful, sparkling water. You put a lid on that mason jar and you shake it up and then all of a sudden it ain't that clear because at the bottom of this mason jar is some sediment and some dirt and some mud. When you shake that mason jar up, that clear water is not so clear anymore. So you can't blame your neighbor for making you mad and you cussed them out. That was in you. He just shook the jar. The devil didn't make you do it. 
You did that. That's in you. That's all you. It's just it lays dormant until the, 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 the situation causes for you to be stirred up. And that's why you get in that car and you're riding down the road and somebody's in front of you and they're going 20 miles an hour with a cinder light on. Oh devil, I see you trying to tempt me and you blowing the horn and you yell at them. That's already in you. It's just the situation was stirred up. We're drawn away by our own sins. We sin ourselves. God don't tempt us. In fact, we got free will, like we said. We're free to sin all we want. We're good at it. That's what we wanted to. Otherwise, I would say to you, stop sinning. Oh, okay. That's all you had to say. I ain't going to do it no more. I don't want to no more. No, you must be born again. God must intervene and change your... He's the one who does the changing. He's the one who does the saving. Otherwise, you're just a moralistic person who attends church who don't cuss and drink caffeine. But deep in, down inside, you're prideful. See, that's how it works. Even when we're doing good, we get prideful and are doing good. And we pat ourselves on the back and believe we're going to heaven because of our good works. How twisted are we and how fallen we are. Yes. Man, we need a Savior. Maybe to be Buddha. I like Buddha. I go to Chinese restaurants all the time. He's fat. He looks happy. It's got to be Buddha. He's got to be the one that's going to save today. Nope, Buddha dead. Buddha dead. Buddha's dead. Maybe it's Elvis. It got to be Elvis. I mean, he can move no hips. You know, he would have. No. The king's dead. King of rock and roll. He's dead. Maybe it's Prince. You're a Prince. He had a guitar in it. Oh, he did too. Maybe Krishna. One of the 550 million Hindu gods. Maybe it's him. No. Maybe Joseph Smith of the Latter-day Saints. Maybe it's him. No. Dead. Maybe Muhammad. Everybody loves Muhammad. No. Muhammad's dead. It has to be somebody who can outlive everybody. It's got to be. It's got to be Dr. Phil. <laughs> nah. Ain't Dr. Phil. Ain't Dr. Bounty Hunter. It it, it's, it's Jesus. Already we see the flaws. We see the sin here in 2 Samuel chapter 13. We see the sin already blared in our face. And maybe it hits a chord with you because maybe you're dealing with these sins. Maybe you're dealing with pride and lust and anger and, and unforgiveness. Maybe it's flaring up in you and you say, Why would God allow this? Why would God allow anybody to draw breath if He snapped His fingers and sent everybody who deserves the hell? There would be nobody. So let us walk together this muck. Let a tear fall from your eye as you look through history. This is an actual account that took place in a family. And maybe your family is just as complicated and maybe just as wrecked as you read this so you can relate. We see in verse number 2, And Ammon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible for Amon to do anything with her. But Amon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Now, we all got that cousin Jonadab who gets us in trouble. But we can't blame Jonadab here. He'll, he'll show up again later. It seems like Jonadab always shows up at the right time and has that information that nobody knows. It's kind of strange. Maybe Jonadab's here tonight. But, but uh, Jonadab's going to show up a little bit later. We see that Jonadab, the son of Shemeth, David's brother and Jonadab was a very crafty man. He, he, he knew what to do. 
And he said to him, oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard this morning? Uh, the reason he says that in verse 4 is because it was tradition for the sons of the king to come together and have breakfast and start their day. However, the daughters of the king were sequestered. They were put away. They were, they were, they were not allowed to free Rome like the princes would. Now, I want you also to understand the state of David's family. David had many wives, as we already covered that. But that means that the princes were also being disciplined and brought up by different parents and different different wives or different mothers who were a part of the family. And these mothers were always competing with each other, jealous of each other. Now, for those who were married to one woman, can you imagine that drama times four or five? <laughs> and oh, that God had a plan, one woman, one man, until one of y'all die. That's the plan. That you're committed to her. Some of y'all, I ain't never heard this before. Uh, that, well, that's the biblical plan. That's why love is self-sacrificing. And you, it's not about you. But no, but no you, some of y'all are here tonight, it's about you. How many, how many notches can you get on your bedpost? And how many ladies can you slay? Or how many men can you bag? Because that's not love. That's, that's just self-satisfying. And that's what happens here with this young man. He uses her and tosses her away. And he said to her, he said to him, O son of the king of verse 4, why are you so haggard? Will you not tell me? Amon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother's sister, Absalom's sister. Notice he don't call Absalom his brother. Absalom is just a couple years younger than him. He's the oldest. He's the heir to the throne. He calls him, he says, I'm in love with Tamar. He don't even mention his brother as being his brother. That's what love does, right? It causes you to use people. No, it don't. Lust causes you to use people. Pride, anger, and unforgiveness. Where's the people who are supposed to love? If David loved, we wouldn't even be in this situation. He, he fell into lust. David should have been on the battlefield fighting wars, but he was walking the top of the palace. He cast his eyes on Bathsheba and it wrecked him. And now generations later are dealing with that. How many people here have fell into the same trap? Believing that you're the exemption, but you're not. Right. Devil uses the same tactics. You know why? Because they work. And the thing is, our hearts are falling. And we fall into the same muck because we are falling just like Adam, just like David. We need a Savior. Jonadab said in verse 5 to him, Lie down in your, on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may eat it and eat from her hand. So Amon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, Daddy. I, I may eat from her hand is what he says. Now, you've got to remember David was a very affectionate father. Absolutely. Remember how he mourned when he lost the child in the previous chapters? However, his son took advantage of his father. Verse 7, And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her and brother's Amon's house where he was laying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his right hand and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. Amon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. Ladies, listen to me tonight. A real man won't lead you to the bedroom. He'll lead you to the altar. And the men who want to slay the ladies, and that's, what you're, that's your MO, that's your plan, I'll let God deal with you. That ain't my job. 
but a woman is not used as a as an object to be tossed to the side. And you probably have done that in your life, young men and older men. Like I said, God will save you from your sins, but the effects of sin will linger on. Generations deal with sin. This generation is dealing with the sin of David now. In fact, if you remember the previous chapters, David committed adultery. David murdered. And we'll see that all in chapter 13. What if David stepped up and stopped all this? To be the man of the house that he should have been. In verse 10, Then Amon said to her, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes and made and brought them into the chamber to Amon and her brother. But when she brought them to, near to eat, he took hold of her and said, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where can I go to carry my shame? The shame of rape, shame of incest. She says, where could I go? Maybe you're here tonight and there's some stuff that you have not even got to the point where you could talk about yet. And that's okay. I, I want to let you know that God knows your thoughts from afar off is what it says in Psalms 139. Maybe somebody did you wrong, did something to you, hurt you in such a way, and you've been carrying shame for years. In fact, you can't even find yourself to talk about it at this point. But like I tell my friend Travis, we ain't done. Well, we're not done. We're not done yet. Trust Jesus. If you don't trust the program, that's okay. You don't trust the denomination, that's okay. If you don't trust the preacher, that's okay. Trust Jesus. They say time heals all wounds. No, it don't. When you get a wound and you don't do nothing to it, it's going to fester, get infected, and it'll cause your arm to fall off. I can tell you. Time don't heal all wounds. Jesus heals wounds. So whatever it is, whatever shame you'll carry... Think back to what Rico said that we're free. We're only as well as our secrets, bro. I love that. Where can I carry my shame? And as for you, in verse 13, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now, that's not necessarily true because he would not if he would go petition the king. For the king would not allow this. She was saying anything she could to get away from this young man. But in verse 14, he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, she he violated her and lay with her. And then we see in verse 15, as much as he desired her and longed for her. In verse 15, his hatred rose up like it was on a, 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 a turntable. It just went around like a swivel. In verse 15, and Amon hated her with a great hatred. So that he hated her with which he had hated her much as he loved her. It was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amon said to her, get up and go. He sends her out. Doesn't sound like love. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong, and sending me away is greater than the other than you did to me. She's saying in verse 16, You raped me, and now you're putting me out. She says the putting out is worse, because you violated me, and now you have exposed me in front of everybody. She says the second is worse than the first. The rejection. But he would not listen to her is what the text says. In verse 17, he called the young man who served him and said, 
Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door behind her. Now she was wearing a long robe. In verse 18, I want you to understand that the princesses of the kingdom wore long, beautiful, flowing robes. It showed their purity and showed that they were royalty. However, in verse 18, now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her, and Tamar put the ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head, went away crying aloud as she went. You might read it and say, what's the big deal? Maybe you're probably a person who's a predator and done that to people. Or maybe you're someone who understands that your purity can be snatched up in a moment. That someone can take it from you that you never expected. That somebody overpowered you. Hey, we're just going to be real tonight. It happens. Happens to men and women. Happens to children, boys and girls. Happens to old men and young men. And if you got through life unscathed, praise be the Lord. But it does happen. She goes away weeping because something was taken from her. Her innocence and something that she was reserving for someone who will love her until she dies. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's what happened to you. In verse 20, maybe her hero is Absalom. Maybe that's... The one that we've been all been looking for. Maybe it's him. In verse 20, And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. We see Absalom is trying to comfort her, but Absalom, Absalom has a plan. I don't know about y'all, but I, I can relate to Absalom. I, I love mine. I love my people. Uh, I, I got a small circle. and I, I keep it tight, and I love my people. And you heard them. Mm, God be the glory. He, he, he's working on me. I'm just saying. I, you preachers saved and all that. I'm just saying. And it's true for you too. I, I got you. That you're, you're a protector. You, you look out for yours because they look out for you. But Absalom says, don't take this so hard. But he has an idea. He's going he's gonna to get him. Preacher, you can't talk like that. How about I just be honest? Where we hold grudges for years. Absent holds his tongue for two years. He don't say nothing, good or bad, about his brother Ammon. He doesn't lift him up. He doesn't mention him. He goes cold and indifferent. He's not anything like his own daddy, David. For David wore his emotions on his sleeves. Absalom had a plan. Maybe you got a plan tonight. Maybe there's somebody you're waiting to get even with. Maybe you're just doing a little bit of time and it won't be long for they, they get the blunt end of your weapon to whatever it is. We talked about this Sunday night and if you missed it, you just missed it. We talked about forgiveness. Revenge, if you're going to do revenge, let's go ahead and just say this. If you're going to, if you're going to get revenge on somebody, go ahead and dig two graves because you're killing yourself too. You, you're supposed to bear the cross. Carry the cross every day. You're not supposed to bear grudges every day. I'll use this analogy once again here tonight. I'm going to ask my deacon to come up. Deacon Will. 
Deacon Will is a strong man. He, that's why we friends. And he's scary and he's big. And, and that's why I keep him around. I got to get the gab. He got to get the jab. And that, <laughs> that's why he's here. He, he always watches my He's in my tight circle. If you don't understand, you will. If you come after me, you got to go to him. Praise God. <laughs> but I use this analogy just Sunday night. Brother Will, I want you to hold this one hand. Brother Will's got that. He's got this plate in his hand. He's holding it for those who are listening to my podcast. And in, the po- in, in the pan is my keys and it's just a little cover. But he's doing pretty good there. Like I just told you, he's a strong man. But if I told Brother Will to stand there and hold that plate for an hour, he might start to feel it in his wrist and his tendons. If I told him to hold it there for five hours, he'd start feeling it in his arms. His feet probably will start aching. Even if he were to sit down and and maybe he were to go about his day and do his work on his job and go about his business, but he had to hold that plate at a certain height and keep it there. How about we go six months, hold that plate right there? He probably start to really notice it in his facilities. His mind will be thinking, I got to hold this plate right here because I just got to keep it here. I got to keep a grip on it. And as his body starts to shake and gives away, he probably loses abilities in other parts of his body because all the energy is exerted to keeping that plate right there. Well, maybe a year. If he holds the plate a year. Can you imagine the weakness that will take place in his body? It, it would affect him emotionally because he's got to hold it right there. How about a decade? What, what would happen in a decade? His arm would probably shrivel up. There would probably neurological problems. Uh, don't, don't even mention his emotions, his soul, because he's got to hold the plate right there. Uh, now you say, this is silly. But some of y'all are doing the same thing. This is anger, bitterness, unforgiveness that you're holding right there. And sometimes you forget why you're holding it and you got to go down memory lane to remember why you're holding on to that grudge. Why are you so mad? you got to go listen to the old voicemails. you got to pull out the scars and look at, oh, I remember what they did. you got to call so-and-so and talk to Boo-Boo and them and get mad all over again so you can hold the plate right there. And you held it for decades. Months, years after year, holding it right there. And you've got to be exhausted. You've got to be tired. Absalom is holding on to a grudge. Oh, I'm going to get him. Some of you doing the same thing. Some of you are doing the same thing. How are you going to carry a cross when you're holding grudges? How are you going to labor for Christ if your hands are full of bitterness and anger in the past? See, look at He's already adjusted. I don't want to torture you any longer. Watch this. Hand me that. Thank you, brother. Amen. You see that? You see how to... Yes. You get that? Amen. Amen. Give it to God. Don't walk out of here carrying it. That's right. Don't walk out of here with that in your hands anymore. Amen. How are you going to labor for Christ if you're still holding on to that stuff? Amen. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're carrying. Who you just can't find yourself forgiving? I don't know. I don't know. I got my own. Well, how do you do it, preacher? Even if it's God bless them. And that's all you can say. Even if you pray through your clenched teeth. Believe me, I have. Even if even if it's a weird prayer, like, Lord, bless him with a brick. I mean, at least you're praying. <laughs> at least you're praying. I mean, nah, don't do that. 
You can't pray for somebody you hate. And if there's somebody you hate that you're harboring in your heart tonight, I just want to remind you, only give as much grace to other people as you receive from Jesus. If Jesus has given you grace and mercy, then you're able to give. You can't give something you ain't even God. If you have not received grace and mercy, then you by all means hold on to your grudges. That just proves you ain't a Christian anyway. You're going to hell. And I don't mean that to say that with a joke. You're going to be ruined. You're going to be damned. And that should bother you. So we're going to the root. The root of it is that you're not forgiven by Christ. You're not forgiven by Jesus. So you can't forgive anybody else. That's the truth. Because Christians forgive. Christians forgive. Hey, wait a minute. This is David's house. Wouldn't you think they're all Christians? You would think. You would think here in a church with a gospel preaching preacher as crazy as I am. Everybody be a Christian. But they ain't. They're not. They just ain't. Believe me, I know. Hands are full. Full tonight of anger and bitterness. (laughs) <laughs> just like just like Absalom he sits and he plots and you know what even when you get to revenge it still ain't enough because you know what it means to take of offense take offense to something listen to the phrase you gotta take offense you gotta reach out and do something to be offended about, about something you, there's something you gotta do when you're, you take it you take it you literally reach out and take offense how many of y'all are just going around taking offense? And notice that I know I ain't good with grammar and it don't sound as clear, but offense is something that offense that separates you from somebody else. If love, love is patient, you won't take offense. If Jesus is patient with you, you'll be patient with other people. If Jesus has forgiven you, you'll forgive other people. If Jesus has shown you grace, you show grace to other people. Don't get me wrong now. If, you, if He ain't shown you no grace, by all means, hold grudges. Be angry. Let that venom go into your soul and wreck you and ruin you forever. So it all goes back to the Gospel yet again. Forgiving people, forgive people. Not a lot of amens, but okay. It sure is true. <laughs> if David intervened here, it could have changed something, couldn't it? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it? If he would just sat down with all his kids, oh, I know you did this and that. Well, we're going to come to Jesus' meeting and we're going to have Bible study. And I'm going to leave this household well. But the problem is, David is guilty of the same stuff his kids is doing. You, you hear what I said? He had somebody killed. He committed adultery. So David can't sit down his kids and discipline them because his feet are kicked out from under him. So if you're a daddy here today, walk in holiness and righteousness. That way you're able to correct and lead and teach your children in the ways of holiness and goodness. David could not do it. If he put his own son to death, what's that saying to the community? What's that saying to the whole country about him? Because he did the same thing. But then again, didn't I just kick the feet out from everybody? Didn't I? Didn't I kick the feet out from the preacher himself who's guilty of the same sins that you commit? Didn't I just do that? Yes, I did. In a moment, later on in the chapter, we don't have the minutes to get there, but I want to let you know that Absalom has a party. 
He invites his brothers. Oh, they all come and they have a good old shindig. You know them good old... Y'all remember them. Y'all don't act like you don't know. They all get together and then Absalom makes a sign to his friends and they kill his own brother Ammon. David weeps when he hears that all his sons are dead. However, there's that cousin, Jonadab. He says, no, 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 don't worry. It, it wasn't all the sons. It was just Ammon. And David weeps. He lost more than one son that day. He lost two as Absalom gets in the wind and runs. How could David correct this family when David is just as flawed as everybody else? Who could help us in this situation? I'm not pointing the finger at anybody because if you got kids here today, if you got nephews and if you got cousins, how are you to help anybody? Because you're guilty of great sins before a holy God. So what do you do? I'm glad you asked. If you would, turn in the New Testament. We're going to look to our hope. I want you to turn to John chapter 8, verse 6. That's in the New Testament. And this will be the last part, and we'll close tonight. And John chapter 8, verse 6. All the way in the New Testament. If you're not acquainted with the Bible, ask somebody beside you because you've got to see this. You've got to see an eyewitness account of what took place. Don't take my word for it. Don't, don't ever trust a preacher because they can twist words. I've seen silver-tongued preachers spin something that was not even in the Bible. You've got to see it with your own eyes to believe this. In John chapter 8, verse 6, if you ain't got to look at your neighbor's Bible and they said to test him that him is Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They're trying to trip Jesus up. See, all the world religions do not deal with sin. Islam does not deal with sin. Hinduism, Buddhism, reincarnation does not deal with sin. That's the biggest problem is the heart. Our hearts are sinful. But who are we to correct anybody? For we're all sinful. So they try to trip up Jesus thinking He's just like everybody else. Jesus bent down and wrote with His finger on the ground in, in John chapter 8. Some people have speculated, what is it that Jesus wrote in the ground? He's writing something. The text doesn't tell us what He's writing. See, here's the situation. Jesus is among the people and they bring a woman who's guilty of uh, adultery and throw Him, throw her at His feet and say, what do we do with her, Jesus? You're a king. You're supposed to be the king of the Jews. You're God's prophet. You tell us that here by the law. So Jesus, what do we do? So they're trying to trip Jesus up. In verse 7, they continued to ask Him and He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you first throw the stone at her. And at once He bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before Him. Why did the older ones leave first? We've got to look at who they were. They were Jewish religious people. And when Jesus was bending down, riding on, in the sand, what He was riding was the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have any other gods other than one true God. Love Him only. The older saw that. They were holding stones. They were like, okay. 
I've had other gods. I haven't loved God with all my heart. And Jesus kept writing. And the second commandment is, Thou shalt not have any idols. Maybe they were holding under the stones a little less. And those white knuckles were giving up that pressure on that stone that they were going to throw at that woman who was caught committing adultery. As Jesus Sanger went into the sand, He wrote, Thou shalt not blaspheme the Lord thy God. He will not hold you blameless. Take the Lord's name in vain. And then the older ones are going, Oh, I've actually done that in my life. The fourth commandment, Thou shalt honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I haven't always been in church and I haven't always honored God being in His house honoring Him. As the older ones saw Jesus riding in the sand, they began to drop their stones. Because they lived a little longer and the truth is they sinned a lot more than the younger ones did. Let's be truthful. Then Jesus continues to ride in the sand. He says, Honor thy father and mother. And they knew they didn't do that. The sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. And Jesus had already explained to the masses, the religious and the not religious, that those who have anger and bitterness in their heart is the same as murder. Can you hear the stones dropping out of the religious hands now? Can you hear them? They're they're thudding all around as the woman is weeping in front of Jesus as He's riding in the sand. The seventh commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. She's guilty of committing adultery. And you know what? Truthfully, the guys holding the rocks were guilty too because they probably did it with her. That's right. But they begin to drop the rocks. The eighth commandment, Thou shalt not steal. Somebody's dropping a rock. I can't judge you for doing that. You, I'm just as big of a sinner as you are. The ninth commandment, Thou shalt not lie. Rocks are falling out of hands everywhere, even here in the congregation. I can't judge you for your sins. I'm a bigger liar than you'll ever be. Your sins don't bother me as much as my sins. It's me. I'm the biggest sinner I know. The tenth commandment, Thou shalt not Thou shalt not covet. All the rocks have fell out of the hands. From the oldest to the youngest. And you look at verse number 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, my Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Whoever you are here tonight, you're just as big a sinner as I am. And I ain't got no rocks to throw at you. The only one in this scenario who could fling a rock at her was Jesus. And He didn't. In fact, later on, He took the cross for her. It was her sins. It was a sin of Absalom. It's a sin of David. It was all put on Jesus. Your dirt, your sin, your coveting, your lying, your dishonoring your parents, your blaspheming was put on Christ. And He gladly took your place. That's the hero. There it is. That's it right there. And you know when I hear that, it doesn't make me feel grumbly or complainful that I have to go to church or read my Bible. It makes me want to read my Bible to learn more about the one who took my wrath that was meant for me. Don't get it twisted. 
I know you might go to a church and say, Jesus loves everybody. If you had, if you had a refrigerator, your face would be on it. Oh, you're so cutesy-wootsy. But we don't care what you do and how you live as long as you tithe and put that $20 in the offering plate. You can do whatever you want. But the Bible tells me in Psalm 7:11 that God is angry with the wicked every day. Put that on a greeting card. Happy Easter. What is this? No. That ain't something that, that they write love songs about from the, uh, from the worship band. That's, that's just real. That's right. Whoever you are, if you have not repented of your sins, God's wrath remains on you. And we're getting down to the root. It's not that you got habits and hang-ups and troubles and you need therapy. No. The sin is sin. We're not going to give it pretty names. You got a worship problem. You worship other things than Christ. That's right. You loved and ran after false gods and served them more than the one true God. And truthfully, you would go back to them right now if the opportunity came up. But I'm not throwing rocks at you. Because Jesus died for my sins just like He died for yours. So that's the story of all the warts and all in chapter 13. But I also gave you hope tonight. Your family might be as twisted and screwed up as chapter 13 in David's family. And David couldn't do anything about correcting it. But I can point you to the one who could do something. It's Jesus. Maybe things have gone sideways in your life and you can't put it back together. Maybe you're in a free fall and things are out of control. Come to Jesus because He ain't holding any rocks. He ain't going to pound you over the head and beat you into submission. That's another religion where they beat you into submission. Come to Jesus because He stretches out His arms and welcomes all sinners to Him. Come who are lame and broken, who cannot live up to the standard, who cannot live a holy and righteous life. Come to Jesus. Come with your questions. Come with your skepticism. Come with, I just can't wrap my head around how somebody can do that for me. Come. Come to the cross. There's plenty of room for people like you and me. With that being said, drop your rocks tonight. Some of you, I got them cogged and you're ready to hit your neighbor. I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I'm going to bust you in the head whenever you ain't looking. I'm going to get you. Drop your rocks tonight because forgiving people forgive people. We'll find out who's really forgiven because you forgive. Mm. I'm spitting fire tonight. Y'all ain't doing it. Y'all, y'all made our best this tonight. I don't know what's going on. What I'm saying is repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. Let us bow our heads. Father, tell